Hello, this is Keith Larson, editor of Control Magazine and ControlGlobal.com. Welcome to this Solution Spotlight episode of the Control Amplified podcast. With me today is Glenn Schultz, Managing Director of the FDT Group. We're here today to talk about the challenges that today's multi-vendor, multi-network automation environments pose for industry and how FDT's open technologies are helping to integrate and manage that complexity, both for legacy systems and the latest industrial IoT use cases. Welcome, Glenn. It's a real pleasure to have you here uh, with me today. Thanks, Keith. Pleasure to be with you. Well, maybe just to start things out, for those of our listeners that may be unfamiliar with the FDT group and its namesake technology, can you maybe briefly review for us the, the roots of the organization and its evolution to the current FDT 3.0 or FDT IIoT server offering? Yeah, sure. It's a great place to start. So the FDT group can trace its history more than 20 years of operation. It got started by a group of leading process instrument manufacturers and DCS system manufacturers that while they were encouraged by uh, what was at that time the relatively new capabilities of the smart uh, field buses and networks and so on, they're very frustrated that it really didn't help at all with integrating um, these into a multi-vendor solution. And so this group of companies got together and uh, started the notion of putting together an international standard that would address not only how to be able to manage a multi-vendor environment in the process industry, but how to configure the devices, how to diagnose devices, how to maintain devices, how to describe devices, and so on. So it was really a pretty ambitious scope, you know, for the days that they were working on that. And obviously, they were very successful uh, in their efforts because today the FDT standard is the most recognized standard in the industry for device configuration, device management, access to plant floor data and so on. So it, it's interesting from the somewhat humble beginnings that you know it's it's moved out of the process industry fully into the factory automation industry as well and hybrid industries of course you know like brewing and packaging and so on mm -hmm. uh, make extensive use of the FDT standard as well. And I guess uh, in terms of evolution to kind of the second part of your question the standard is regularly maintained and so uh, we're always keeping an ear to the ground for what the industry is looking to do next. And that's both from a vendor perspective and from an end user perspective, revving that standard. And when the standard first came out 20 some years ago, it was squarely based as a desktop Microsoft platform, which was really the only required use case in those days. And so it, it fit the market perfectly. As the versions of the standard moved on, it became obvious that staying on a desktop didn't have the scalability that people were looking for uh, when you took this to an enterprise level solution. And so we moved to the capability for a client server architecture. Mm -hmm. And in the most recent version of the FDT standard, which is now FDT3, it's uh, fully platform independent, so it can run, the server can run on any uh, major operating system, Linux, uh, Microsoft, Apple, and so on. And the end user interaction 
with the application is through standard web browsers, whether they're on your phone, your tablet, your desktop, your notebook, whatever, um, you can fully access it using regular web browsers. So it's come a long ways in those days. We still support uh, more than 18 different networks out there in the industry through the standard. And uh, now it's fully internet enabled. Gotcha. So it's it's both really a standard and a and a technology when you think about uh, how it works. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. I mean, it, we're clearly a standards organization. You know, our goal is to produce standards that are of value to the industry, and we take those and uh, we get those standards accepted by large international standard bodies like IEC or in China, it's a GBT standard, or in the US, it's an ANSI ISA standard, and so on. So it's truly a standard, but you're right, there's a just a huge amount of technology that goes into building these standards and making them successful. Yeah, that makes sense. How has the device landscape changed since the, the early days of you know smart transmitters and heart protocol and Profibus and things like that? Now, now it's a really a different landscape now, isn't it? And really what new requirements is that placed on both the users and suppliers of automation devices and systems? Yeah, it's definitely changed. I'd say for in one aspect, it, it's broadened out. So we have certainly have a lot more industrial networks that we support than we did in those early days. Mm -hmm. In the early days, it was primarily focused on the handful of process automation-based networks but with its transition to factory automation, that's multiplied many times over uh, in terms of the networks we support. The great thing though about that is the way the original standard was written, uh, they anticipated that there were going to be other networks that needed to be supported. So the standard is written such that when a new network comes along, we don't have to re-release the whole standard. You don't have to reinstall everything in the field. We just create what's called an annex and everything that's out there can immediately take on that annex and communicate on the new protocol. So, mm -hmm. you know, it's quite powerful that way from a, a network perspective in our industry. But I think the newest requirements for us, um, you know, clearly with, with COVID, that's basically underscored the issue of being able to work remotely from your facility. Yeah. And the new architecture directly supports that. You can access it from anywhere in the world if you have the right security credentials to do that. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's fantastic to today's environment. But I think the other thing that really has changed dramatically is the need and the desire to get access to real-time information on the plant floor and do it in such a way that you don't have to go through gatekeepers like the DCS environment or the PLC environment to get to that data. Um, you know, basically immediate access to plant floor data for ad hoc projects or for long-term integration into higher level systems. So that really is in line with the, the Namur model where you have a, a parallel path for, for non-control type of information. So this really facilitates that along the way. Absolutely. I, we, you know, we, we clearly participate in the old automation pyramid but on the other hand, when you look at the new FDT architecture, you can see we also sit adjacent to it. And so the IT side of customers' organizations love that because they can now 
get direct access to data without a lot of roadblocks. Maybe you can dig a little more into the detail of just how this how this works. This really, I mean, when I think about trying to manage communications and integration among all these different types of devices, but also meet um, expectations with respect to mobility, um, security, cloud connectivity. Can you give a little um, glimpse under the hood, I guess, of the architecture and how that all, all comes together within, say, uh, an end user's facility? Yeah, so the main uh, change with the newest version of the standard is we've gone to a full server-based model. Now, you could still operate it on a single-user desktop environment if you have that kind of application, but that's no longer the typical use case. Hmm. So we've gone to a full-blown server that we call the FDT server. It's an Internet of Things server, so it's architected so that you could deploy it an instance of it in your facility. You could have an instance on the edge of your corporate environment, or you could have an instance placed up in the cloud. So the entire architecture has been server-based and completely redone so that it can run in any of those types of environments on an, any operating system. So that provides great access to the capabilities that FDT has always offered. But then we add to that, that all of the user interface now with that new FDT server is carried out with HTML5 and JavaScript. Mm -hmm. So that means all of the user interaction is now just through a standard web browser. So not only can you put this up in the cloud, but then you can access it from anywhere that you've got access to that server in that you've got the right security credentials to do that. Now, the nice thing is the server itself still does what the FDT standard is so well known for, and that's taking all of these different industrial networks, all the different industrial protocols, and basically putting a layer of abstraction between those and the end user so that they don't have to worry, you know, is this device on heart or is this mm -hmm. device on device net or you know those types of things they just see the device and they can directly interact with that device no matter how many layers deep in the network it is you know and no matter where it's located in the architecture to them it's as if they've got a direct channel to that device and that's all done through this server environment whether it's in the cloud or edge or somewhere in a server environment in the factory. So very powerful. Mm -hmm. And then the, the other thing we did uh, that really addresses what both the IT and OT side of the organizations were asking for, we built in to that FDT server, we have an OPC UA server. And we've taken care of all the data model issues. So nobody even has to worry about that. So you literally now when you put that server in place, you put the device drivers, the DTM in place for that server, without any additional activity, you can hit that server through an OPC UA client, and you can see all of those devices, you can click on a device, and you can see all of the data it exposes in real time. Mm -hmm. No extra work in terms of configuration at all. Yeah, that's very powerful, very powerful. <clears throat> There's also uh, the component of the FDT hub. Um, I think that's more for managing the, the latest uh, updates to all the, these uh, device descriptors and all, all that 
stuff that nobody wants to worry about. <laughs> yeah, that's a fair way of putting it. You know, FDT really was a victim of its own success. So we became very popular very fast as a standard. And so there were a lot of DTMs created in the marketplace. And DTMs, you can think of them essentially as a device driver to support that device in the FDT server. So the, all these vendors were making all of these DTMs, which was great. I mean, we were certifying DTMs like crazy. Everything was going well. But as I go to the user forums around the world and speak directly with their end users, the number one complaint they had about the FDT group standard was that it was so difficult to find the DTMs they were looking for. Everybody <laughs> was producing them, but if you had to, you know, if you were doing a new installation and you needed a thousand different DTMs, you know, every vendor buried them somewhere else on their website or they, you know, had a memory stick packaged with the device that had it on it. You know, everybody did their own thing. And while each one seemed good in itself to the end user, it was a daunting task <laughs> to find those DTMs. And so the thing we really wanted to correct with the new standard is to get that into a format that's much more practical for the end users. So as you mentioned, uh, the FDT hub is our name for that solution. And what happens now is when a vendor certifies a DTM, that device driver for the standard, that copy of that DTM is automatically placed up in this FDT hub. So it's a cloud instance, a huge repository for storing these DTMs. Anytime then a server recognizes, hey, there's a new device on one of my networks that I'm supporting, and I don't have the DTM for it in my local catalog, it can directly talk with the FDT hub without user intervention. It can go up to the FDT hub and say, hey, here's the device that I need a DTM for. Please give it to me. And the hub will then pass along the latest version of that DTM to the server. And then the user can decide, is this the DTM that I'd like to install or use for my application? So very powerful, directly to what our end user community had asked for. Um, no web browsing, even on the hub to find it, the server itself speaks directly with the hub to get the DTMs. That's, a, that's another powerful powerful feature, no doubt about it. That's really a, a, a key advantage for the end user. What, what's in it for the, the system suppliers, whether the instrument suppliers or the, the DCS or PLC kind of suppliers? How does this make their, their life easier too? Well, the, you know, the bulk of that is in the end device vendor marketplace. So let me talk about that first. And you know, what they get as a benefit out of this is they write to one standard and their devices are supported you know, in all of these installations worldwide. They can also take that same DTM and many vendors do this. You know, let's just say they, they've got a fairly complicated device. You know, a good example these days is probably an AC drive that has thousands of parameters you can mm -hmm. configure in it. And that doesn't always go into a large system. Sometimes they're almost standalone in their application. And so they still need a configuration tool for that drive when it's standalone. Well, they can take that same DTM that they created and they can put a simple wrapper around it and it'll run 
on a desktop environment for them. So they get a standalone configuration tool for the same effort that they got that they put in to develop the DTM for the big, large system integration kind of capabilities. So they love that because it's very high reuse uh, for them in terms of a software component to support their products. And now with the new architecture, they don't even have to ship anything. They can just give their customer access to a cloud-based instance. And if they've got the right uh, gateways set up within that customer facility, they can configure it directly through there. So even that perspective is is changing as people get more used to the new FDT server and the way that it can sit up in the cloud. Mm -hmm. So the other thing the device vendors get out of this is uh, interoperability, uh, you know, which was one of the original goals of the standard when it was started 20 some years ago. And that was, you know, provide a way that I'm insured that when my device shows up in a larger system, that it functions properly, that people can get access to the information about my device and yet allow me to competitively differentiate myself with my device through that graphical user interface and the DTM. So, you know, you can build things like uh, pretty nice wizards into that DTM. So in the example of the AC drive, it might start out by simply asking, well, what kind of application are you using this drive in? You know, is it HVAC, is it lifting, is it pumping and so on? And just by selecting the application, they can already eliminate or pre-configure maybe a few hundred of the device parameters, and they can keep stepping deeper into the application, and maybe the user's only got to tune a dozen parameters in the end then, instead of having to deal with thousands of parameters. And so they see it as a way to you know, provide value-add faceplates to their product that the end user will value in terms of competitive differentiation when they're looking in the marketplace. And on the other side of the equation, you know, the system vendors, the DCS, the PLC guys, you know, they see the other side of that. They look through the other end of the telescope and say, hey, I can now integrate all these devices in, in many cases, things that they don't have in their product portfolio and offer their customers a complete solution, you know, regardless of the network they're on, regardless of how complex they are or not to configure and so on. So the system guys get the, the same benefit, but multiplied many times over because the device vendors are providing that capability. Sure, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it seems to me that why would you not have <laughs> this capability in your facility if, if you're dealing with this kind of stuff? What do you what, what do you run into as reasons why organizations might not have adopted the FDT model? Well, from an end user perspective, it may just be awareness or that they haven't had a recent project, you know, in order to take advantage of that. You know, it, it just can happen that way. From a system perspective, we don't see that a lot anymore. You know, we're pretty much, uh, wherever you see automation, you're probably going to find an FDT application installed. And you may mm -hmm. not even recognize it as such. It may be, buried deep inside of an asset management system sure. uh, doing what it's supposed to be doing and you just don't simply identify it as FDT unless you're already quite familiar with the standard and can recognize uh, the common threads. So, 
Yeah, so you know those tend to be the only reasons in today's marketplace that there isn't somebody that's taking advantage of the FDT standard. We've talked quite a bit about the here and now of what FDT three allows. What about um, what's coming coming new? What what's on the horizon? Obviously, continuous innovation is is a key enabling advantage of this. How what, do you, what new things do you see coming down the pike that uh, the FTT group will? need to pay attention to in the in the days to come? Well, one thing that's uh, kind of in our regular cadence, not necessarily new, but it does drive uh, the releases of the standard, and that's just keeping up uh, with the operating systems, with all the security standards around operating systems and the industrial environment in general. You know, those are always moving targets, and so we're always reaching for those, making sure that we're delivering the security and the capabilities that people are expecting broadly in our platform. I think there's a there's a number of other exciting things on the horizon. You know, we've we've certainly heard about uh, the new one pair Ethernet standard for mm. intrinsic safety and so on. Um, I think that's going to apply to a lot of the networks that are already out there that are Ethernet based. It's a great platform for them to move on to. For us, that's a easy stepping stone from an FTT perspective. The standard is very much positioned to be able to take that on quickly as those network associations make those transitions. Uh, so we're, we're pretty excited about that. OPC UA technology continues to move on nicely. They're also looking at essentially their own protocol for industrial communications. Mm -hmm. And we're, of course, following that closely uh, since we're you know very closely aligned with the OPC UA standard. Mm -hmm. I think that'll be exciting as that uh, starts to mature probably a few years before we'll see tangible results there but it's you know it's great conversation and uh, great effort is being put into that. Mm -hmm. So I think there's a lot of exciting things on the horizon and the FDT group always has its uh, wish list and must do list of things mm -hmm. for the for the next standard and it's always fun to sit down with the board of directors and say here's what we think we've got to get after and we get the funding uh, through our board of directors and through our membership as a we run as a nonprofit organization mm -hmm. and so our our income and our capability of doing this comes from our members they donate resources to all of the standards activities so it's always fun to work with the best and the brightest in the industry as we take on these uh, new technologies and capabilities. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So if there's, you spoke uh, earlier about about awareness, and maybe there's maybe there's an instrument company or an end user out there that that isn't aware of FTT or whether they even have it. If they're they're intrigued by the functionality that we've been talking about, how how should they go about uh, getting started to investigate uh, using this solution in, in their own facilities? Well, the simplest way is probably visit our website. It's fdtgroup.org. A lot of good information on there. Uh, you can look over um, overviews of the standard, and you can also get deep into the standard itself if you'd like to. Mm -hmm. um, if you have specific questions, um, I'd invite you to write an uh, email to info at fdtgroup.org, and we'd be happy to make sure the right resource response to you so you can get your question clarified. Um, and then 
For if you're a vendor out there, we regularly host uh, development seminars. And of course, those are all virtual these days. Mm -hmm. And so they're even easier to attend. And there'll be one uh, scheduled here for late spring. So keep an eye on the website uh, for that information. And uh, we open that up both to members and non-members of the FDT group. Gotcha. Well, I certainly appreciate you taking the time, Glenn, to share with us uh, all that's new with the FBT group. I have to confess, I I was surprised at some of the new developments and, and how central it's become in terms of interoperability, not just for legacy systems, but certainly this uh, brave new world of the industrial IoT and stuff as well. So thank you for sharing that, that all with us. Really appreciate it. Yeah, my pleasure. We've been very pleased, too, about how well the marketplace has accepted the new FDT3 standard. And I think as more people get into it and see the benefits of it, it will, the adoption will accelerate rapidly. So thanks for taking the time today. Yeah, you bet. Um, thank you all for, for listening as well. Thanks for tuning in. Once again, uh, my guest today has been Glenn Schultz with the FTT Group. I'm Keith Larson with Control Magazine, and you've been listening to a Control Amplified podcast. Thanks for joining us. And if you've enjoyed this episode, you can subscribe at the iTunes Store and at Google Podcasts. Plus, you can find the full archive of past episodes at controlglobal.com. Signing off until next time, and thanks again, Glenn, for joining me.